Regenerative farming is a hot topic right now. The Groundswell Conference has never been more popular and governments and big business are desperate to get a piece of the regenerative farming pie. But what exactly is it? Can it be defined or certified? And does it require a change of mindset to farm in this way? These are just some of the questions we'll be asking in this week's episode of Over the Farm Gate. The podcast marks the launch of a new 12-month series, Farming with Nature, that we'll be running in Farmer's Guardian. The series will look at lessons to be learned from pioneers in the UK and further afield, and will provide a series of resources and tips for you to mine. We have lots of exciting content planned on a range of different themes, including soil health, biodiversity, grasslands, trees, and much more. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears open over the coming months. I'm Abby Kay, Head of News at Farmers Guardian, and I'm going to hand over to Jez Fredenberg for a fascinating discussion on Regen Ag with two members of the Farming Forum Grassroots Group. Hello everyone. To kick off our regenerative farming podcast series, we thought we'd dive into a group that is starting to make a bit of a name for itself. 14 grassland farmers have been talking on the farming forum for a number of years now, sharing knowledge, ideas and the highs and lows as they attempt to farm regeneratively. Most recently, five of them appeared in front of a packed audience at Groundswell to share their story. And one of them, Ian Davis, was even invited to appear on stage with George Eustace, where I think it's safe to say Ian gave him some food for thought. Ian joins us now, as does another member of the group, young farmer Sam Audrey. Ian has been running a small suckler herd in Hertfordshire, while Sam currently farms beef cattle and arable in Wiltshire, but is soon moving to his own tenancy in Cornwall with his wife, Laura. Okay, so guys, can you just, just for the benefit of everybody listening, can you just tell us a little bit about how you have been farming and how perhaps you've changed things in the last few years or what you're planning to do. And can you can you kick off, please? Yeah, we, um, we've been running a suckler beef herd here since the 1970s, along very conventional lines, set stocking, um, spring calving, and then bringing the, the stores the, the cattle in in the autumn weaning the calves off um, feeding them quite intensively to for the store sales of the following year over the last five years we've been a- adopting um, the savory network holistic management approach and been increasingly um, focusing on daily moves on electric fenced small cells more to improve the soil health and the landscape function rather than necessarily looking to um, improve our output or anything. Um, And just taking the opportunity to experiment and see what we could achieve. It's taken the first couple of years to start seeing any significant differences, but then we started to see things accelerate away. And it's, it's certainly made significant changes to the farmed landscape here. Biology's recovered quite considerably. We've also seen significant health benefits for the herd. That's excellent. And Sam, what about you? Because you're, you're farming with your, your family at the moment, aren't you? But you're about to take on your own farm. So are you going to be shaking things up a little bit and doing things a bit differently? Yes. Yeah. Well, we're moving down to Cornwall, like you said, and as part of our own tenancy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely changed things. I mean, I've changed things here um, where possible. We were traditionally a set stock beef system. We still use some continentals, but we've changed more to Anguses, which do better off forage, and changed um, to using red clover silage, 
Um, so basically no inputs on that, three good cuts a year. And um, yeah, I changed my grazing system to sort of rotational grazing, but sort of taller grass grazing. Um, and then depending on the stock class, the, you know, how much I take out and depending on the goals of the block of ground. And and this this idea of farming, I guess, in a less conventional way, is that something that has happened for you, Sam, like fairly recently, or is that something you feel you've you've always kind of had in had in mind? Um, I suppose I've always seen, sort of, I've always questioned the way you know things are done with ev- with everything, and it you know with the cattle, it's questioning why why are we set stocking? Why you know you see dairy farmers. They move their cows twice a day, effectively after milking. Why can't we do that? And um, so I just started fiddling around four or five years ago with just a bit of basic rotational grazing through small paddocks, and then started using electric. And you know, I have done sort of twice a day shifts with the cattle. Um, that's not, you know, part of your context. You need to be able to, you know, you do it for the cattle and the land, but you also need to, you know, match it in with your abilities and time and everything as well, which you know, it's not possible all the time with the way the way the farm is um, to be able to shift twice a day, just use it in specific times and circumstances for specific goals. Mm. And Ian, have you have you ever been what one might call a conventional farmer? You know, was there a point where you sort of thought, hmm, I want to do things a bit differently? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I did a did three years at Harper in the 1980s, got an HND, um, was taught to manage along the absolute conventional lines and uh, and did that from then until probably about 2017, 2018. And in the process became increasingly disillusioned with agriculture as a whole. It's an open secret that I, um, following mad cow disease, I, I also worked for the Environment Agency and spent 23 years with them alongside farming. Um, and that brought me into close contact with um, with professional biodiversity colleagues and um, specialists in all sorts of different environmental areas and started to make me look at things rather differently from that point of view. Um, but it wasn't really until I came across the idea of regenerative agriculture in about 2017 that, uh, that the penny started to drop and I started to see just how dysfunctional my own landscape was. It's once you make that change in mindset and you start to see things differently that all of a sudden so many things click into place and you think, well, hang on a minute, why why have I been um, throwing so many insecticides around and then wondering why we've got no insects about and those sort of things. Mm. So yeah, it, um, I, was a, I was a thoroughly conventional farmer up until then. I think that that change in mindset is really interesting, isn't it? Because that's something that a lot of people who are in, who are certainly making that transition really talk about. It's like seeing your farm differently. I'm guessing it's sort of seeing it much more as an, as an ecosystem. Would that be, would that be the, the kind of shift? You know, what is that, that shift, would you say? Well, the, the, um, uh, when I first got in, interested, I, um, I'm a big reader, and uh, and I went out and bought no end of the the books that are on most regenerative farmers' bookshelves. Um, I did the the um, savory network training, but I I read Call of the Reed Warbler and Dirt to Soil and all of the the usual books. <clears throat> they all make the same point that until you see things differently, you can't change the way you manage them. And the the general description that most 
people follow when they get into regenerative agriculture is instead of looking at the soil as an inert substance that you grow stuff in or on, and instead of looking at a herd of cows as, as the main thing on the farm that you focus on, you take two steps backwards and say, well, actually, the thing that's supporting all this is the soil. Let's actually look at how we're handling the soil and everything that lives in it and on it and around it. And if we get that right, then to a large degree, the productivity of everything follows from that. Yeah, makes absolute sense. And you're both part of um, a group on um, the Farming Forum, aren't you, who meet and discuss regenerative farming. How, Sam, how important would you say it's been to be able to have those you know those conversations um, and build those relationships with other farmers who are kind of quite like-minded oh it's, it's extremely important we um you know it's just sharing sharing your experiences and if someone else is because you're not going to get everything right and so if you someone else explains what they did and you know what went wrong and why they made a mess it might not stop you making that mess because you know the experience is your own but it might help you make less of a mess and then you'll be questioning it quicker and you know when you've done your reading about your soil um health and your animal health and you start to you know open your eyes and see more then you know then the other people's experiences will help you the other thing that we all as a group find really useful is that when you have something that uh, that you try that doesn't work or you notice something that's going wrong we all tend to to uh, report it to everyone else and ask what everyone else's views are on it. And sometimes that can that can give you ways of looking at it that you wouldn't have thought of yourself, or it might have taken you ages to come to that to that realization. Um, instead of one pair of eyes looking at your landscape, you end up with with fifteen pairs of eyes looking at it. Um, and that can be a, a huge benefit of being part of a group of like-minded people. What would you say to people listening who don't know where to start? Um, I mean, I'm guessing other than other than your group on the Farming Forum, there are other resources out there, aren't there? Um, Ian, you've mentioned a few books and things like that. Where would you, you know, what are your, your top things that you'd say to people about where to start, where to get that kind of information? Um, I mean, book-wise, book you'd say, Dirt the Saw by Gabe Brown is, is Farmer Speak. It's written by a farmer. Um, it's quite easy. David Montgomery, the, um, the soil scientist from the USA. Um, Dirt, the erosion of civilizations is the first one. And then um, growing a revolution uh, and the hidden half of nature. They're, they're very well written by someone who's actually an academic, but you really wouldn't know it to read them. But for anyone who's not into reading, then I would point them first at something like agricology the non-profit agricultural education organization they've i've attended a few of their um, farm walks and courses and they are very very good people like niles caulfield and sector mentor abby rose they they do some really worthwhile training and there are some really good resources on facebook as well there's some good regenerative agriculture facebook groups although we obviously started contacting each other through the farming forum it doesn't have to be that route that you take but ultimately what we'd really what we really need to see is local regenerative agriculture discussion groups popping up around the uk where you can physically go and see other people and sit around and chat in the way that we've been doing online 
and hopefully offer farm walks and discussions and things for people to, to actually look at what other people are doing. Absolutely. That definitely was something that came came to the fore, I think, in Groundswell, you know, that need for connection um, across across the UK and knowledge sharing. So one of, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you guys about is also the issue of whether we should be defining regenerative farming. <laughs> I know this is something that you've been talking about on the Farming Forum a bit. And it's certainly something that came up at Groundswell and there were kind of mixed reactions. Um, Sam, do you want to kick off with this? Like, do you think there should be a definition for what regenerative farming is? Um, yeah, I think there should be a definition because it, it sort of defines where everyone's going and what everyone thinks about it. Um, with regards to certification, I don't think there should be because that means then there is an end goal. Um, you know, everyone's reached that gold standards and they don't need to do any more but the nature of the beast is that we work with natural systems and there is no end goal things are constantly changing it's you know it's a complex system you know one year it might be dry one year it might be wetter and you can't you know use the same practices or you might have might have reached your grazing goal but actually then your personal goal might change um because obviously the people are quite an important part um, unfortunately, I do think with all the greenwashing and the big sort of national, multinational companies jumping on the the regenerative bandwagon, there probably does need to be some sort of certification scheme or, reg- or register to um, just, you know, make sure people are on on the on the journey um, rather than just people just making it up and saying yeah we're regenerative actually there'd be nothing nothing behind it yeah i think i think um the 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 greenwashing thing is is definitely something that that worries me you know the idea of um of uh no no definition it being so so woolly that um that anybody can claim to be doing it um and what what do you sort of think to what sam's just said do you agree or do you have any other points to make I I think I'm all for a very broad definition of what regenerative agriculture um, encompasses because people who are starting out need something as an explanation of what the, the mindset change needs to be. But I am fundamentally opposed to certification of regenerative agriculture because exactly as Sam said, um, that suggests that you've done it, you've got there, you've got the T-shirt, you don't need to do any more. Um, I would also say, who needs certification of regenerative agriculture? It's the industries buying from us that need it, not us. Uh, Direct parallel with Red Tractor. It's the rest of the industry that wanted Red Tractor, not farming. And look what it's actually provided for us. Pretty much nothing. Um, We were promised at the start that we'd get extra money for it. Um, That never materialised. I think certification of regenerative agriculture is for everyone other than farmers and when you talk to uh, quite a lot of farmers who are going down this route retail some of their products themselves when you actually talk to the customers they're not interested in a certification they want to hear the story behind what you're doing they want to understand why you're doing what you're doing not not some sticker on a box so my personal view is that if anything i would rather see a a scheme for registration of the facts that you are attempting to adopt 
regenerative principles rather than certification that you've succeeded. Oh, interesting. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I would, <laughs> I would say if you have a register but no certification, I think that might that could possibly that could be abused more because anybody could then say, oh, yes, I'm trying to do this. But if there's nobody then to say, to kind of check that you are doing it, there's nothing, do you know what I mean? There's nothing to stop anybody kind of going on that, on that registration. Um, and also, the, the, I, I, I see what you're saying about um, certification and a label, but at the same, at the same time, um, is it not, it, would it not be helpful, do you think, especially if, if you're not someone, if you're not selling direct and you're not able to tell your, your story, I guess, in that sense. If you're a farmer supplying a supermarket, for example, is it not beneficial for the, for the industry and for you as a farmer? If you, you know, if someone can walk into a supermarket and has some way of identifying um, products that have come from a farm that is practicing like this? Because in a way, then, where, where is the ability for farmers to um, use this to add value to what they're doing? if they're not selling direct and therefore able to tell that story. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can see exactly what you're saying um, and I can see some benefit in it. Um, but my, my experience and that of most of the people that, I'm, that I've interacted with since um, following this route, has been that the major benefit to um, to regenerative producers isn't actually extra money in the marketplace. It's a much better control of your costs. Any additional profitability from adopting regenerative principles really comes from um, being able to produce more efficiently and and more cost effectively, rather than getting more for what you sell. It's, it's a very different mindset to the adoption of organic or something like that, where the whole thing is predicated on a price premium. Mm, that's interesting. It'd be nice if you can get more, but it's not about getting more. And as Sam hinted earlier, the holy grail for um, grazing livestock systems is, is being able to outwinter. I mean, Dad and I used to outwinter suckler, a suckler herd in the late 70s, but it was set stocked outwintered and we used to destroy the ground. We got away with it because it was heavy clay ground, London clay, that has remarkable properties of recovery, but it used to cost us weeks and weeks of grazing in the spring. If we'd have understood then about electric fencing and cell grazing, and we'd, we'd limited them to very small areas and moves every day, then the land would actually have benefited from that, and we wouldn't have lost that spring recovery. By, by outwintering, whether it be sheep or a suckler herd, you can take so much cost out of your system that it's almost difficult not to be profitable as long as you can make the system work. Um, something like, I reckon something around 50% of the cost of a typical suckler herd is, is simply because of bringing the animals in for the winter. By the time you've made all their winter feed and you've, you've brought the bedding in and you've housed them and then you clart all the muck out again and spread it and all everything that's involved in that is added cost. If you take all that out, you don't actually need a certification scheme that pays you an extra few pence a kilo for your product to be better off. So, yeah, it's a very different way of looking at it. Yeah, interesting. Sam, what, what do you say to that? Would you agree with Ian that it's much more about um, managing your costs, bringing your, your, I guess, your input costs down and, I guess, managing that risk rather than adding value monetarily, I mean? Yes. Yeah, it's stopping the 
the money going out down your driveway and keeping the stuff coming in same or as or as you know, maybe not the same but you know you can cut back a little bit but actually you're more profitable um i've seen that with cutting you know i don't use any fertilizer on grazing ground and the the block that i've been doing that on for a couple of years you know with daily shifts sometimes twice daily with the cows and calves is our most productive block because i've cut out the the external inputs but up to my internal input of just shifting electric fence every day and I, I that's sort of improving the soil as well you take a spade out and you can see that the soil is is better for it underneath with the the long recoveries and you know laying litter down but also the, the the cattle waste cycling cycling through the system as well and with the you know registration scheme that that you mentioned you know does it have to be an external officer coming around and checking you are trying to be regenerative on the on the journey in inverted commas um or or should it be other farmers within the local group like we were saying we should you know really that if there was local groups um sharing ideas you know they should be self could be self-certifying because they wouldn't want themselves being let down by some cowboy who was actually just playing along for the name Mm-hmm. Just an interesting idea. I mean, what you know, given given what you've just said, um, and about this this wholesale kind of change in attitude, I suppose. Um, how ready do you think the agricultural sector or industry is for this? And I mean, when I say that, I mean to support farmers in regenerative farming in a more agroecological way. Sam, what what would you say? There are changes happening, but like, like we keep saying, it's better to come from farmers. You know, we were uh, our grain selection. We were sort of taken aback, really, by you know the amount of people that came to see just five blokes sat around having a chat. Um, and there were, you know, there were other sessions where with professionals that wasn't as full. And I, th- I think people get a lot more value peer-to-peer learning because. Farmer quite can be quite skeptical, and you know what sell me. You see that in quite a lot of um, industry publications, where you know the articles are sponsored by you know such and such chemical company or or this um, machinery company. You know, basically the articles it's a big advert for them. Yeah, and what would you say? Because and I'm asking you this, having walked past the tent at Groundswell when you were on stage with George Eustace, making a point about um, certain companies maybe not being the right ones to then be doling out advice. <laughs> would you like to elaborate on what you said? Well, to to answer the question you asked, Sam, um, I. I think the the widespread adoption of regenerative agricultural principles in UK farming is a fundamental threat to the business model of the inputs industry, because it means us turning turning our backs on most of what they sell us. Um, so I can't see any any reason why they would want to encourage it. In fact, what we're seeing increasingly is. Um, companies who have earned an awful lot of money out of agriculture, not just in the UK, but around the world over the last 50 years, um, doing their utmost at the moment to find a way of turning regenerative principles into a marketable product. And my personal view is 
that it's not about um, helping farmers. It's about retaining their income stream. So, for example, there's, um, there's a number of companies who are now saying uh, we're producing, we accept that mycorrhizal fungi are fantastic in the, um, the services that they provide in a functional soil. We've managed to use genetic engineering of mycorrhizal fungi to produce a better fungi, which we can sell to you as an inoculant and you can improve your soil with. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure they have managed to genetically engineer it, but the main reason for doing so is because it then becomes patentable and they can sell it. Um, you know, a, a common discussion that we have on the um, on our within our group, and a question that we've been asked even in the last week, is whether it's worth spreading um, herbal lacets. I've done that on some of our our holding here, and in other places I haven't. Um, and my experience is. It's expensive. Um, it's very variable in how you get it to take, unless you do a complete reseed with um, destroying the old sward and cultivations and the full works, which is incredibly damaging environmentally. Um, but if you just change your management and you give it time, an awful lot of those species will come anyway. Uh, the seeds there in the soil. I remember being being taught at Harper um, that about a um, a classic old experiment where they were looking at how long dock seed was viable for in the soil. And they concluded that uh, after 80 years, dock seed was still something like 5% viable. 5% of the seed was viable. Um, well, that makes a complete nonsense of spraying docks to get rid of them. Because you, you've got to spray for the next 100 years continuously to hope to exhaust the seed stock in the soil. Well, if you change your management, to a, a management that doesn't work for docks, you'll lose docks. But you can even step up um, a bit further back from that and say, are docks the problem? Um, actually, if you can persuade your animals to eat, well, docks are incredibly nutritious. You know, why would we not want docks in our, in our pastures? Um, and that's all completely um, contrary to what the inputs industry would want us to think. Is seeing the docks as a um, symptom rather than the problem. They they are a symptom of compaction and, and bare soil um, rather than the problem. So they are trying to cover that bare soil and that big fat taproot going down through the compaction to, to help break the soil up um, where where your grass plants aren't going to be able to do it. It's, yeah, it's trying to solve the problem, which is not the dock. Mm. Guys, what um, just just to finish off, I just want to ask you, what do you think would help farmers the most to move to more regenerative agroecological systems? Local regenerative discussion groups, local farmers who are early adopters opening their farms up for other people to come and have a walk around and explain to them what they're doing, why they're doing it, what changes they've seen, and a critically important is what didn't work and why you think it didn't work and that's something that we don't get from the so-called trusted advisory industry uh, you mentioned me um on the panel at groundswell with george eustace and this question was asked there and i made the comment that um if there is any need for government support of it and i'm not sure whether there is 
then it would be a financial safety net for people adopting regenerative principles in the same way that they've provided in the past for the organic industry. A recognition that when you transition from chemical-based farming to a regenerative-based agriculture, there will be a period of time as you back off on the inputs where your output drops. And that's mm -hmm. a financial risk. Very good points. Sam, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Anything that you think would really, uh, really help people move into regenerative farming and, and continue in it as well? Um, like Ian said, farmer to farmer support um, would be good. There's, you know, there's someone in most areas that's trying these things. Um, and then, you know, encourage those new entrants, I suppose you could call it into regenerative. Um, just try safe to fail areas, try a Try a little bit. It's not going to break the bank, um, but try it and you know actually put your heart behind it. Don't just say, "Ah, oh, it doesn't work." You know, actually say, "If it didn't work, why didn't it work?" And just you know, encourage people to question everything they do, all the inputs they do. I almost see it as an Alcoholics Anonymous for farmers, um, <laughs> yeah. a sort of agro agrochemical addicts anonymous. Um, where you, you have a self-help group that gets together and say, you know, I'm, I'm a farmer and I used to be addicted to agrochemicals. Um, this is my story. Uh, I'm trying to do things differently. What can you all suggest to me? How can we help each other? And I love that. It what are we going to call it? You, yeah. <laughs> I think AA is already taken, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you want to rule out. I probably could have said this. Uh, don't want to rule out any any inputs because they're all tools yep. in the box. You wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm never going to plow again," or "I'm never going to use nitrogen again," because it's they're available to use in certain situations. But you just say, "I prefer not to use it," and I know that I know there's downsides to it. But actually, in this situation, for the financial health of the business, um, you do need to do it. Mm yeah lots to, lots to learn then and lots to continue learning and um like i think like you've both said like be adaptive be experimental learn off each other and 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 kind of keep keep improving really so we're going to hear more about regenerative farming or agroecology or farming with nature whatever you want to call it we're going to hear more about it in the next few weeks so thank you both very much That's it for this week's Over the Farm Gate. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media with your friends and family. And before you leave us, just a quick reminder that Farm 24 is coming up on August the 4th and August the 5th, so it's not long to go now. We're asking all of you to get involved and say why you're proud to be working in this amazing industry. It's the digital event in the farming calendar, and it gives us a great opportunity to show the public how their food is produced and what 24 hours in farming typically looks like. So please do get involved. All you have to do is use the hashtag farm24 on August the 4th. Don't forget to tag Farmers Guardian and help us make some noise. That's us done until next week. Thank you for listening.